say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming and the rocket's red glare the bulbs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there oh say does that star-spangled banner Welcome to Sup Media Reviews, the podcast that never needs spoiler alerts because it takes you back in time to relive the nostalgia of classic TV shows and films that you've probably already seen. I'm your host, Kiara, and each week I'll dive into the archives to bring you my take on movies and TV shows from at least 20 years ago. From cult classics to forgotten gems, I'll review them all and give my honest opinion on their impact and whether or not they still hold up today. Join me as we revisit the iconic characters, memorable moments, and timeless themes that made these shows and films so special. So take a break from adulting and get ready for a trip down memory lane with Sup Media Reviews. What's up, Home Slices? Thanks so much for tuning in to Sup Media Reviews. I'm Kiara, and on this lovely July 4th, I'm excited to review the fantastic 1996 film Independence Day. This movie features Will Smith, Bill Pullman, Jeff Goldblum, and Vivica A. Fox. Unlike the other media I've reviewed here on Sup Media Reviews so far, prior to rewatching this film for this review, I had almost no recollection of what actually happens in the movie. I'm sure I saw it when I was little, around the time it first came out, but I just did not remember any of the details. So it was nice to watch this movie with a fresh set of eyes. So here's some fun facts about the movie. According to the producer slash co-writer Dean Devlin, the U.S. military had agreed to support the film by allowing the crew to film at military bases, consulting the actors who have military roles, etc. However, after learning of the Area 51 references in the script, they withdrew their support. So... They brought up Area 51 and the military pulled out, y'all. Okay, take with that what you will. <laughs> so another fun fact is that the scene in which Will Smith is dragging an unconscious alien across the desert was filmed on the salt flats near the Great Salt Lake in Utah. When Will Smith says... And what the hell is that smell? That was unscripted. Apparently, the Great Salt Lake is home to tiny crustaceans called brine shrimp. 
And when they die, their bodies sink to the bottom of the lake, which isn't very deep, and they decompose. So when the wind kicks up just right, the bottom mud is disturbed and the smell of millions of decaying brine shrimp can be very, very bad. Apparently, nobody warned Will Smith about this smell. So when he says that in the movie, it's actually improvised and coming from like a very real place. But they kept it in the movie because it actually kind of like applied to the situation. (laughs) And the final fun fact is that Independence Day holds the record for the most miniature model work to appear in one film. So a lot of the things that you see in the film are actually like miniature models of towns and the spaceship and all that kind of stuff, which I thought was pretty neat. And I don't think I ever would have known that had I not read this like little piece of trivia about the film. The model shop supervisor, Michael Joyce, estimated that more miniatures were used for this film than in any other two films combined. And due to the advances in digital technology since the film's release, most experts believe that this record may stand forever. So because there's so much CGI and animation tools and all that kind of stuff, they think Independence Day might hold this record forever. So that's kind of cool. If you want to check out Independence Day, you can watch it on Stars as of the recording of this episode. I don't have Stars, but I was able to watch the movie for free during a seven day free trial of Stars that I got through Amazon Prime. So um, I absolutely plan on canceling the trial before they charge me. And I set a reminder on my phone to make sure I do so. Okay. So if you don't want to go through all that trouble, you can also rent it for $3.99 on multiple streaming sites. I could not pass up the opportunity to review this film on July 4th. So I actually went through the trouble of getting that free trial just for you guys. So my personal connection to this film is weird, okay, because I actually don't recall or prior to rewatching it, didn't recall much about this movie. So I have like a very limited personal connection to it. All I know is that it was one of Will Smith's first movies. And I would argue that it was actually the first time that he was in kind of a leading action star role in a movie. He was also in Bad Boys, I think one year prior to Independence day, but I would dare to say that this movie was a little bit more mainstream. And I believe that because of that, this actually helped propel him to movie stardom as opposed to him being on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air where he was more like a TV star. Also, I would say it's actually really cool to see Black folks as like a lead in a sci-fi movie. Black people have been pretty excluded from mainstream sci-fi. So to see Will as like one of the lead actors in a sci-fi box office smash was really amazing. So that's one of the things that I love about this film. So I'm really excited to share my perspective on this movie. So let's get into the meat and potatoes. In the opening scene of this movie, we see there's a plaque on the moon that has the names of all of the astronauts that did the moon landing on it. I didn't realize they left behind a plaque with names on it. I just know about the flag. And a lot of people don't think the moon landing was even real, but whatever, we're not going to get into that. We see a weird shadow coming over the moon, indicating that something large is heading towards Earth. We see that it's a spaceship. And of course, there's intense music to let us know that, you know, there's some doom blooming. (laughs) Next, we see a place called SETI. It stands for Search for ET Intelligence Institution. 
It's in New Mexico. We see a bored Asian man who's working in some type of control room that's getting an alert. And the guy calls some guy and is like, hey, listen to this audio. We're getting a weird radio signal. It's coming from 375,000 kilometers away. It's coming from the moon. It's like a weird noise. And it sounds like a squeaky chair to me, but this place is actually some type of lab that is supposed to alert people to alien activity and alert is actually going off. So we see the space command at the Pentagon. They know about the signal and they see a weird image that they took. I'm assuming it's from a satellite and they're showing that it's a huge aircraft of some kind. It's a huge thing. It's roughly a quarter size of the moon and it's slowing down as it's approaching the earth. So it's not a meteor. So they end up calling the secretary of defense. So next we meet the president. Okay. So the president who is played by Bill Pullman, you might recognize him as the dad from Casper, <laughs> but he gets a call from his wife. At the time, I didn't know where she was. So she, it turns out she was in Los Angeles, but I knew she was in a different time zone. And we see that the president and his wife have a young daughter and they're watching some like news pundits talk about the president. We learned that the president used to be a fighter pilot war hero, but they don't think that his skills are really transferring well to his job as POTUS. So now they're really doubting him. And <laughs> and I mean, what's new? New presidents get in the, the office and do their thing, uh, particularly presidents who have no political background and they are subject to a lot of criticism. So that sounds like true to life. So now I'm about to take y'all on a quick detour. Okay, so I mentioned earlier that the president and his wife have a young daughter. Now, I know that a lot of people feel like Amazon Prime is not a good streaming site and that they don't have the best content. When I was watching this, like I said, this movie was available on Stars, but I got the Stars trial through Amazon Prime. So I'm actually watching it on Stars on Amazon Prime. So a lot of people don't think Amazon Prime is like a good streaming service or whatever, but I don't necessarily agree. But I will say that one thing that they do have over other streaming sites is like the little menu that shows up when you pause the movie. It's called the X-Ray and it's powered by IMDb and it identifies and shows pictures of the characters and actors on a screen on like a scene by scene basis. And I feel like that is so helpful. I don't know why more streaming sites or whatever haven't adopted that, but I find it to be like really good because I'm the type of person who will like connect a face to somebody, but not be able to remember their name or like what else that they were in. So I found it super helpful. So the reason why I found it helpful in this instance is because when I was pausing the show to take notes, I saw that the little girl who's playing the president's daughter is Mae Whitman. And Mae is the actress who did the voice of Katara in Avatar The Last Airbender, which is one of my favorite childhood cartoons. Y'all, I freaking love Avatar The Last Airbender and I rewatch it frequently. So to see her as a little girl was like kind of cool. 
as an adult, Mae Whitman also starred in the TV show Good Girls. But big ups to Amazon for giving us more information than we thought we needed. It's helping us make connections between different pieces of media and I love it and I enjoy it, okay? So we see that the president is also young and he's kind of struggling with the fact that he's losing favor in the public eye. So he gets the call about this whole extraterrestrial situation and we see that a satellite smashes into a massive spaceship just to kind of give you an idea of how big the spaceship is. So next we see Jeff Goldblum in Central Park in New York and Jeff Goldblum's character is named David in this movie. I will alternate between calling him Jeff and David, just letting you know. So we see that David is playing chess in the park with an older man, and we find out that it's his dad. We find out that David still wears his wedding ring, even though he's three years post-divorce. He beats his dad in chess, and then David goes to work at a place called Compact Cable, and he gets approached by a coworker named Marty. Marty is played by the scratchy voice guy named Harvey Firestein. <laughs> I've seen him on stuff before, but I'm having a hard time remembering where. But he has this like signature scratchy voice that is actually like really cool and really endearing to him. I've seen him before on stuff, but I, I really can't place him right now. And so we learned from Marty that the whole cable company, which is actually a satellite cable company, get that connection. They're in chaos because their signals aren't working and they're only getting static on the channels or whatever. And so we learned that David is a bit of an environmentalist who really cares about recycling cycling, which comes up a lot in the movie, but I feel like it doesn't really come full circle for me. We'll talk about that later. So yeah, the whole alien spaceship situation interfering with satellite signals makes a lot of sense. And that's why everybody at the cable company is kind of freaking out. So next we move on to Imperial Valley, California. We see that there are two boys and a girl who live in an RV in this valley. And there's a guy named Lucas who has a bunch of like crappy crops and he approaches the two boys demanding that their dad, whose name is Russ, fly over his crops in 20 minutes or he's fired. So Russ is a pilot for a crop duster and apparently that's what he does for money. And the farmer that he works for is upset because his crops are not, you know, doing well and that he needs to get them dusted as soon as possible. And so one of the sons rides a motorcycle to find his dad and the dad is played by Randy Quaid. Randy lands the plane or Russ as his character is called. Russ lands the plane and his son informs him that Lucas's farm is on the other side of town. He's been crop dusting the wrong fields which explains why Lucas's <laughs> crops are not doing well and we see that Russ has a drinking problem and he likes Jack Daniels and drinking and driving is bad enough. Drinking and flying sounds like a nightmare. So he is something like a functional alcoholic and his son seems exasperated, very tired of having to parentify his drunk dad. We see that the spaceship looks like it's deploying smaller spaceships towards Earth. So that whole thing is still going on in the background. So now we're back at the White House. There's a lady whose name is Constance, and she 
is coming across as like the press secretary for the White House. She's kind of around, but we don't know her significance yet. And so lots of people in the Oval Office are trying to figure out what to do about this whole alien situation. The president wants to upgrade to DEFCON 3. And then there's a guy who's trying to undermine him. So <laughs> this guy that's trying to undermine him does it a lot throughout the whole movie. And it took me to almost the end of the movie to figure out who he was or what position he held. He is the Secretary of Defense. So the Secretary of Defense tries to undermine the president all throughout the movie. And we'll talk about him more later. So we see that because it's like July 4th weekend, half the troops are on weekend leave and all like the higher ups in the military are all in Washington, D.C. for the parade and them trying to stage some type of like attack is really not going to work because everybody's trying to enjoy the Independence Day weekend. So they really don't know what to do. They're still, you know, brainstorming and trying to figure it out. And they're like, can we blow it out of the sky? Can we just assume that they're going to pass us by? And then like some military guy walks in with bad news and he's like, okay, the big object, the big object that was coming towards us stopped moving. But now there's like three dozen smaller foreign objects that are like 15 miles wide that have broken off of the big object and they're going to be entering the earth's atmosphere in 25 minutes so things are escalating rather quickly <laughs> y'all i don't know what i would do in an alien apocalypse i have no idea any apocalypse situation I think would just be really tough for me personally. <laughs> but let me know, let me know, what would you all do in an alien apocalypse? Are you all prepared for that? It's just blowing my mind. Anyways, so all across the world, we're seeing different people noticing different phenomenons because these ships are headed towards space and crazy things are happening all over the world, right? So the, in the northern desert Iraq, we see that there are nomads in the mountain who are witnessing like strange lights in the clouds. We see the USS Georgia and the Persian Gulf. They're having a big blackout. Their radar is malfunctioning, but their infrared is going crazy. So they call the Atlantic Command, and let them know that there's another sighting of one of these weird ships. So this is the second sighting. So we see on the California coastline, people turn on the TVs and people in the Russian Republic are panicking because there's a weird colorful cloud that's heading for Moscow. And then they send AWAC, which stands for Airborne Early Warning and Control, and AWAC is like three minutes away from making contact with the um, spaceship that's headed for the West Coast. I don't really understand a lot about the military, but what I could gather from AWAC was basically like a warning. If somebody's entering the airspace that shouldn't be, like you go out and be like, hey, y'all need to get out of here before things get like a little crazy. So that's what I assume was the plan. So we're in the aircraft with AWAC and we're like, hey, we can't see nothing. These clouds are real weird. Our instruments are malfunctioning. And by the time they actually are able to make something out, it's just fire. It's just like a big explosion and it destroys the AWAC and the soldiers that are inside of it. And so we find out that there are two more of these small spaceships, one in New York and one in D.C. And so the president decides to stay in the White House while the rest of the leaders 
was like the VP and the cabinet or whatever, like they had to a secured location. So they start the emergency broadcast system. They tell people to stay in their homes and don't panic. And of course, people are going to panic. <laughs> what I will say about this movie is that I feel like when it comes to the depiction of how people reacted to the news of an alien invasion, I feel like it's on par with what would probably happen in reality. So I felt pretty good about how even though these graphics are not the best and they're old and from 95 or whatever, like I found like, I guess because they use models instead of like an old version of CGI or whatever, that even though this movie was older, visually it still looked good, which I find really interesting because like some movies like don't age well when it comes to <laughs> the visuals. When I say that, I'm thinking about like RoboCop, like did not age well. But for whatever reason, like visually, for the most part, Independence Day still kind of held up. So I thought that was pretty cool. For the most part, y'all, that's not always. We'll, I'll talk about some parts that were really strange visually. So we cut to David at the cable company and David starts analyzing the signal that they're receiving from the satellites. And he says something that's probably important, something about how like the signal is reducing every time it recycles. So the signal is going to disappear in like seven hours. And at this point in time, I'm like, why is Jeff Goldblum always some weird dude in movies? He's always weird, always strange. Does he just play himself? Like, I haven't seen The Fly in a long time because the movie freaked me out. But he was weird in that. He was weird in Jurassic Park. He's weird in Independence Day. Why is this man such a quirky weirdo in all the movies and does this mean that he does not have any acting range because he acts like the same person in every movie I don't know I don't know y'all tell me what y'all think anyways Jeff is basically in la la land because all his co-workers are watching the news in fear because they're literally trying to figure out like WTF is going on with these weird multiple unidentified unexplained flying phenomenons okay and Jeff is over here trying to analyze signals and whatnot so his brain is just elsewhere so there's a White House press conference and they tell us that three ships are heading towards the U.S. remember there's one in California one in New York and one in D.C. New York and DC. Yeah, I guess. I guess. We'll talk about that later. So the people who are at the satellite company head to the basement because it's an old bomb shelter. So we go back to Imperial Valley and Russ, again, who is like the drug pilot, is in a local bar and we find a few guys taunting him for a couple reasons. He was dusting the wrong fields because he's wasted and can't get himself together and apparently Russ claimed that 10 years ago he was abducted by aliens and was experimented on so this helps to explain his drinking problem I don't know if I was abducted by aliens I don't know that I would tell anybody I don't even know if I could talk to a therapist about that <laughs> but Russ told people he was obviously ridiculed for it. And now he has three half ethnic looking children and he's a crop duster who's not doing his job well. And they live in an RV in 
a farming community. I don't know. His life has not gone the way it's supposed to go. Interestingly enough, as soon as he's being taunted regarding the alien abduction, Russ gets up to leave and the whole place starts rattling and shaking and a huge shadow covers the land and the spaceship is nigh. And the spaceship is traveling like in a cloud of fire and it's covering like almost all of Los Angeles. So finally, we get to the part where we meet Will Smith's character, okay? So a little black boy pops up. This child also plays Nikki on The Fresh Prince, which I thought was cute. He opens the door to his parents' room to alert them of the alien invasion. And the parents are Vivica A. Fox and Will Smith. Will Smith's character's name is Stephen Hiller. So they think that the whole shaking thing is like an earthquake. But I love when movies show something that comes across as realistic. The movie is taking into account the time difference on the West Coast. And it explains why they're still in bed while people who are on the East Coast are up and about and like moving around and figuring out what do we do about these aliens. I love realism in a movie. Okay, I understand that we're supposed to suspend ourselves in fiction and whatnot. But the more realistic things feel to me, like the better I feel about the movie. So we see that the aliens start moving in, y'all. We see shadows that are coming over major cities all around the world. People are crashing their cars because they are just amazed by these flying objects, you know, these spaceships that are flying over the city. David goes to the roof to see what's happening in the sky and the spaceship basically reveals itself out of the clouds of fire and people are just now starting to panic after they're like in awe and standing amazed at like what's going on and what's happening. So Jeff has a moment of realization about the signal that he was analyzing so when the DC spaceship gets revealed out of that cloud of fire or whatever, the president decides that he wants to address the nation. And so we flip back to Los Angeles where Will Smith's character is, Steve. He wakes up and he's like a little low-key ripped. Will Smith has always had <laughs> a nice body. And Will sees like the neighbors packing up. And so he finally turns on the TV and the little boy is saying like that he's shooting aliens or whatever. And so Will goes outside to grab the paper and sees that there's a lot of stir in the neighborhood. And he realizes that it's because there's a huge spaceship in the sky right in front of his house. And so it took them like a really long time to wake up and like come to the realization that there's an alien invasion going on. And I can see definitely how that could happen. If you're three hours behind everybody else and you're just waking up to an alien invasion, y'all, when is the best time to be notified about an alien invasion? Do you want to be up going on about your day? Or do you want to wake up and see on the TV that there's an alien invasion? I think I would rather learn about it in the middle of my day. Personally, waking up to bad news just sounds horrible. <laughs> so, uh, moving on. So we're back at the cable station with Dave and Dave is running somewhere. We don't know. And so we hear that more ships are in the capitals of England, Germany, and India. There are 10 to 15 city-sized spacecrafts. And Jeff wants Marty, the scratchy voice man, to tell his mom to pack up and leave town because he's on the phone with her. And so Dave assumes 
and Dave is, like I said, Jeff Goldblum's character, assumes that the signal that he received is some type of countdown. And he's making this weird connection to chess. If you remember, he was playing chess in the park with his dad earlier this day, that the aliens are setting up the pieces and getting ready to strike. And I can't remember how he says it, but for whatever reason, the way he says it in the movie sounds ridiculously dramatized. Jeff Goldblum is a decent actor, but in that moment, I feel like he was not like <laughs> whatever way he said, he was like, they're setting up the pieces until they're ready to strike. Like <laughs> it was bad. It was really bad. It was hilarious how he said it, but based on his calculations, it's going to be about six hours. The countdown is about six hours. So when the countdown happens, then checkmate. So the president makes an announcement that basically aliens exist and he's talking to the public. And we find out that Constance, who is the press lady that we talked about earlier, is actually Dave's ex-wife. And so he says like, hey, you got to leave the White House. He tries to warn her about the signal and that the aliens are going to attack. And his ex-wife does not want to hear it. So he decides that he has to get there right? He has to get to his ex-wife because he obviously still loves her. Three years after your divorce, you're still wearing your wedding ring. You are literally saying like, I don't even want other people looking at me. I want my ex-wife back. And after three years, you're really holding on tight, <laughs> like super tight. Maybe let it go. So Jeff gets on his bike and he finna ride to somewhere. But then we see Will and Vivica A. Fox's character, whose name is Jasmine. So Steve, Will's character, is his leave gets canceled and he ends up having to report to duty at a base, a military base. And Jasmine is pissed because he going to be fighting aliens. Who knows what kind of technology they got? There's a spaceship here. You're probably not going to make it. And I don't want you to go. You shouldn't leave us. How am I going to survive? caring for this child who was probably five or six at the time. So I feel like she was right to actually be like, um, oh, like, where you going? You, you leaving me here with this child? We need some protection. What you do? Where you going? And I feel like Steve was way too cool and calm about fighting aliens. Jasmine really wants him to be careful. And so he invites her and her son to be with them on the base to like ease her fears. So they joke a little bit and they feel better. And we see people are, are packing up their stuff. They're leaving town. They're trying to get the heck out of there. And Dave goes to be with his dad and he gets to his dad's house. And basically his dad is going to drive him to D.C. so that he can inform the people at the White House of this countdown, which is actually a very important piece of information. OK. And the fact that he's going to save his wife, I feel like should be secondary, but it feels primary to me. <laughs> anyway, we see the president is talking to the first lady. Again, the first lady is in LA and she, for whatever stupid reason, is like, I don't want to get on the helicopters right now. I need to finish this press situation because apparently she was doing press to kind of get all the pundits and stuff off of his back from all of the like negativity and the favor that he had kind of lost with the American people. So she's like, I'm not going to let them slander you. I'm going to do these interviews. And then I'm going to head to Nellis on a helicopter, right? Which was very stupid. And we find out 
why later. And so we see Dave and his dad in the car on the way to DC. Dave's dad is freaking hilarious. Through this conversation with his dad, we find out that Dave's dad is mad at him for wasting an education at MIT to become a cable repairman. His dad's driving slow and fortunately there's no traffic because they are the only people who are heading towards DC. Everyone else is heading away from DC. So they don't have any traffic for real, for real. So Dave pulls on a laptop that has a directory of all the phones in America. I feel like that's a stretch, y'all. I know you work at a cable company. I don't know how you got access to every phone number in America. It's creepy and unbelievable. <laughs> So he goes to this directory. He finds his ex-wife's cell phone number. Who are really weirded out by that, that he is doing this level of stalking. I feel like as a cable repairman, he does not have the clearance to have access to a directory like this. But because he has important information on an alien invasion, I think this is an acceptable defense to stalking. Okay. So... In a different scene, we see that Russ gets arrested again, drunk pilot. So Russ's son see that their dad was arrested on TV for releasing flyers out of his crop duster about like the coming of the aliens. And so a news camera catches him talking about how Russ was abducted years ago and how aliens have been studying them and finding their weaknesses. And again, Russ's sons and daughters, his two sons and one daughter, look ethnic to me. They look like they might be native or Hispanic. I find that very interesting. Where is their mom? We never get any answers. But there are rumors that Russ was abused sexually by the aliens. Fortunately for Russ, he gets out of jail because everyone has bigger fish to fry. It's like a freaking alien invasion. And Russ is able to leave town with his kids. And yeah, they hightail it out of there in their RV. So we're at the army base where Steve, again, Will Smith's character, is there figuring out the assignment. One of the things I thought was funny is that people on the news are saying that regular people should not fire guns at the spaceship because they might start an intergalactic war. I thought that was really funny, like literally had to warn people not to shoot at the spaceship. It's quite hilarious. So here we see Harry Connick Jr., who is playing one of Steve's fellow, he's his wingman, one of his fellow soldiers. He's a fellow pilot who is Steve's wingman. Harry Connick Jr., for whatever reason, I had no idea who he was until I was an adult. White ladies love Harry Connick Jr. He had his own TV show for a little while. I don't understand the deal with him. People are really into him. He's a good singer, I guess, but I don't know any of his songs. I don't know what the deal is with him. Whatever. Y'all tell me. What's so special about Harry Connick Jr.? What's, why don't I know much about him? But we find out that Steven gets a letter of rejection from NASA. And Harry Connick Jr. is like, you aren't kissing enough butt. Okay, if you want to get in the NASA program, you got to kiss some butts. And so Harry ends up finding an engagement ring that has dolphins on it. The ugliest engagement ring I've ever seen. Animals on jewelry in general to me are not cute. They come across as a little bit tacky. And I understand this was like mid 90s, but hideous. If my husband would have proposed with an animal themed engagement ring, we would have a big problem. But she loved dolphins, whatever. 
So it looks like Steve doesn't know if he wants to stay or leave when it comes to Jasmine. We find out that she is a stripper. And so we cut to her stripping in a club. And of course, there's no one's there because it's an alien freaking apocalypse. Vivica A. Fox has an excellent body in this movie, okay? And we see that while she's in the dressing room getting ready to leave, some of the strippers are watching TV. And there are people who are on top of like a tall building in LA who are welcoming the aliens. They're like partying on top of the building and welcoming the aliens to <laughs> to the earth, I guess. And so one of Jasmine's strippers friends is like, yeah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna join them at this party and welcome the aliens. And Jasmine is like, girl, I have a bad feeling about this promise me you won't go up there the stripper promises her but of course does not keep that promise to join the alien welcome wagon so what's his face dave played by jeff goldblum again is using a signal to triangulate his wife's position or ex-wife's position in the White House. I don't know why that was important. And he called her and gets her to grab him and his dad from outside and bring them into the White House. And so they send a helicopter that has visual communication devices on it and they call it the welcome wagon. And I'm, I don't even know, I can't remember what message they were trying to send. They're like flashing lights to try to communicate with the spaceship and Dave and the president prior to him being the president had a fight because Dave was under the impression that Connie his wife was having an affair with the president very similar to old girl from scandal turns out they were not having an affair but Dave is like trying to download them on all the information he figured out. He's like, okay, the aliens are using our own satellites against us. That's why the satellites are not working. There's a signal that's happening and it's counting down and there's like 27 minutes left before the countdown is over. So the little welcome wagon helicopter with the lights is flashing lights like Kanye West and they're waiting to see what happens. And so the president decides to call for everyone to evacuate given that this countdown is happening. Who knows what's going to happen at the end of the 27 minutes? And he's like, we should pull out the welcome wagon, like get them out of there. And so the spaceship actually starts to move and they end up attacking the welcome wagon and everyone in there dies, unfortunately. So now it's time to evacuate. So Dave and dad are in a helicopter with the president and his daughter and Jasmine and her son are in traffic. Marty, who was Dave's coworker with the raspy voice, is also in traffic trying to reach his therapist. And the first lady finally gets evacuated in a helicopter right before the party of people who are on top of the building who are trying to welcome the aliens, including Jasmine's stripper friend. She promised Jasmine she wouldn't go up there, but Jasmine's stripper friend went to the top of that building to welcome the aliens. And the aliens opened up the bottom of the ship and revealed this like blue light. And that blue light basically destroys the whole town. It creates some type of weird explosion and destroys everything in a very large radius. And I don't know what the people on top of the building were expecting. Why would you welcome an alien? We don't even welcome illegal aliens. <laughs> we don't even welcome people who are immigrating to the United States. Why would you welcome an extraterrestrial? Okay, you just, you're not making sense. So 
Again, a few people are boarding Air Force One to get out of Dodge and then the countdown clock goes off. And like I said, the spaceships all release a beam that vaporizes everything in a certain radius. That happens in Los Angeles, that happens in New York City, it happens in DC, it happens anywhere. There is a large spaceship and they are primarily over major cities with large populations and in DC because that's where like the head of the government is. So these aliens obviously had a plan, just like Dave said, they set up the chess pieces and then they were ready to strike. So in New York City, we see the Empire State Building getting vaporized and Marty gets vaporized too. So he ends up dying, which is so unfortunate. I actually really liked him. In DC, the White House gets blown to smithereens and cities are just being destroyed by these large, like rippling rings of fire that are being created by the spaceship. So this is clearly advanced technology and Air Force One takes off just in time not to be vaporized. And we see that Vivica A. Fox gets stuck in a tunnel and she sees the fire from behind so she gets her kid and she runs but they also have a dog and so she has to call the dog dogs usually have really good survival instincts so I don't know why the dog wasn't following her in the first place but she calls the dog and she's able to get into a maintenance room in the tunnel and gets the dog in there before she ends up getting vaporized too. So she has good survival skills and she saved her son and the dog. Okay. Mind you, all of this happened on July 2nd. So on July 2nd, the aliens launched their attack and destroyed the most major cities across the United States, like all at the same time. Once that little countdown timer went out. So now it's July 3rd, we see the Statue of Liberty is laying face down in the water, a sign of American greatness just destroyed, right? And so Russ and his kids are driving and Russ feels vindicated. I've been saying that there's aliens out here for 10 years, right? Like finally people know what I'm talking about. So he pulls over because one of his kids is sick. It wasn't really relevant to the story, but they mentioned it multiple times. I don't really get it or understand why that's really relevant. But when he pulls over because his son is sick, he sees that a lot of folks are in RVs outside of the city. So they're camping out. So back on Air Force One, the president is upset about not evacuating everyone earlier, not taking earlier action and thinking about how many people died because of his lack of action. You can tell that he doesn't really like the complexity of being president. And it's like, what did you expect? Being the president is like, tough. You're responsible for so many people. So many people are going to hate you off rip because they don't agree with your political stuff. Some people are going to hate you because they don't like the way your hair looks. It's tough. If Trump didn't happen, I would be more surprised to see someone who is like a decorated hero with no political experience be elected to office. But now anything's possible. (laughs) anyone can be president so apparently this job is more than he bargained for can you believe that in his presidential term is the one that has the alien invasion like how lucky is he so we find out that the president's wife's the first lady's helicopter never made it to nellis and during the time i was watching the movie i was like i feel like she might have survived like something was off there for me And it turns out later I was right. So his 
wife just came across as a survivor to me, okay? So Jasmine and her son make it out of the rubble in the morning and they see all of the destruction. Much of Los Angeles is flattened. There's not much left. And the little kid is like, what happened, mommy? Y'all kids are so annoying. I wish they knew how to read the room. <laughs> don't ask me what happened. I don't know. Look, look around us. I have no words. <laughs> So we're on the military base. They're doing a briefing on the alien spaceship and it's time to do some battle. I found Harry Connick Jr.'s character to be very annoying. And I felt like he's obviously going to die. I wonder how people write movies and write characters and get people to act in a way in which I know they're going to pass away in the movie. I feel like they were trying to make Harry endearing. And I just found him to be annoying. I'm like, he's going to die. And if he survived, I would be very surprised. And Harry's character, whose name is Jimmy, is Steve's wingman. So they've got a whole Maverick and Goose thing going on. So Jimmy is called Raven and Steve is called Eagle. And they find out that they're at a total loss for intelligence. The military is like four minutes out from approaching the ship. And Steve just feels guilty about leaving Jasmine. But Jimmy does this decent impression of Reverend Jesse Jackson that was encouraging to him, which was really the only pleasant thing that he did the whole time that we've known him in this movie. He's so annoying. Apparently their squadron or their crew is called the Black Knights. And so the Knights roll up on the ship. They fire missiles at will, but the missiles hit a force field that glows this weird turquoise color when a missile hits it. That was one little piece of technology that didn't really age well, that little turquoise glow. But they get closer, right? And they try again. And because Will or Steve notices that there is some type of force field, he orders the crew to pull up and to avoid hitting the protective shield. But he ends up losing one of his men when their controls fail. And so the plane hits the force field and explodes. And we actually hear him scream before he dies. And for whatever reason, that was actually very jarring to me. I feel like a lot of times when people have like impending or sudden deaths in movies, for whatever reason, I don't know if they scream or not, but just hearing him scream right before his plane hit the shield was like, I don't know why it felt really jarring to me as if like I hadn't witnessed that before. I don't really know. So then there's this little battle scene that happens. There's a lot of little tiny spaceships that come out of the spaceship that's there over the city. And now they have to fight the small ones now. So another person ends up getting eliminated after it crashes into the smaller ones. But we find out that the little spaceships have shields too. And so more pilots are dying and they end up having to abort mission. Harry's character, Jimmy, keeps calling Will Big Daddy. I don't like it. I don't like the term of endearment daddy or big daddy. I don't like when men refer to themselves as daddy. I don't even call my own father daddy. This is a little weird. Don't call. Don't. No, I'm not calling you daddy or big daddy. No, it's weird. <laughs> 
feel like I'm not the only person that feels that way. It's strange. Anyway, the control room loses satellite communication with the squadron. So Jimmy and Steve head out. They abort the mission. It looks like they may be the only two that are left. Jimmy ends up dying and I feel relieved because get him out of here. He's so annoying. He tries to do some kind of trick that defies the law of physics and Steve is like, no, you're my best friend is dead and we're supposed to feel sorry for him. But I'm just kind of glad he's gone and I don't have to see him anymore. His character was annoying me. And I was really glad that that part was over with and that I was right about him dying. So at the military base, the ton of the little spaceships are coming and like blowing stuff up and killing people and whatnot. So they are weakening the defenses of the military. And so Steve is still, you know, being chased by some aliens. He's flying through this rocky terrain and the spaceship actually crashes and Will ejects himself and survives the fall because of his parachute and he's really proud of himself and the little tiny alien ship is actually bigger than it looks but will opens it and we get our first first look at the aliens and they look like a little mixed version of alien and predator and will punches it and then he turns his back on it and lights a cigar why would you turn your back on an alien that you punched once i understand that this alien has been in a spaceship crash but you don't know how strong this alien is you don't know what's going on with this alien. You ain't, it's not definitively dead or anything. Why did you turn your back on it? What's, what's wrong with you? That was unrealistic to me. And then he lights a cigar, which apparently is something that he and Jimmy used to do whenever they returned back from a mission because they only light it when the fat lady sings or something like that. And so we see Vivica A. Fox's character, Jasmine, find a big truck and the keys are in the visor. Why are the keys always in a visor on these movies? I don't know anybody who leaves their keys in a visor. I understand that this is like the early 90s. Maybe things were a little safer. Carjackings weren't that high or whatever. But she finds the keys in the visor and rolls out. And so... The peeps who are over at the RV park with the rest in them, they're leaving because the spaceships are actually headed their way. Air Force One, Dave ends up getting airsick on the plane, which comes up later. And Dave's dad talks to Connie about Dave still loving her, blah, 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 blah. And we hear more chat about the, from the politicians about what they're doing. Okay. Like, what's the next move? And so they're moving troops away from the bases because once you destroy major cities like that have large populations of people once you destroy the political headquarters the next thing you take out is the military defenses and so that's basically where like the aliens are headed next so there's talk about like what if we do a nuclear strike right and the president is like no that's going to endanger more people we learned that NORAD was taken out by aliens. So that means that the VP and the Joint Chiefs and all the cabinet members and whatever are dead. So now an argument ensues because Dave is like, you can't do nuclear warfare. You'll kill the aliens and us. And then the little annoying Secretary of Defense or whatever tells Dave to shut up. And Dave's dad is like, hey, don't talk to my son like that. He's the only reason you're alive, which is true. He is the reason why they were evacuated in time. And he was like, while well, y'all up here talking about my son, y'all need to be talking about yourselves because y'all have had aliens since the 1950s and y'all should have been studying them and working on them instead of worrying about what my son is over here doing when he saved your lives. And why weren't y'all prepared? Y'all been working on this for like 45 years. You had decades. 
And the president is like, look, we didn't recover a spaceship in the 50s. It's all a bunch of hokum, whatever. And so the annoying secretary of defense is like, mm, president, sir, actually, he's right. Yeah, there is an alien <laughs> and a spaceship. <laughs> they did find an alien. So the president is pretty shocked, right, by that. So we see Vivica. A Fox, again, her name is Jasmine in this movie. She's rolling around in this big maintenance truck that she finds and she has a bunch of survivors in the back of the truck. So they pull over and find some more survivors, including the first lady. And I was like, I knew she was a survivor. I knew they weren't just going to let her story in with her helicopter just, you know, not making it. And so we see Will in a different scene is dragging the alien through the desert on a parachute. And so he's talking to himself and he says the improvised line about that smell that I mentioned earlier. And he sees some vehicles headed his way and it's a bunch of RVs, which is the crew that Russ is rolling with. So they're finally starting to connect the storylines, right? Like at the beginning of the movie, we had a bunch of different storylines. There was Dave, there was the president, there was Connie, there was Will, you know, a bunch of different people who we didn't know. So finally, these people are meeting each other and the stories are finally like consolidating and connecting. So Russ and his crew pick Steve up and Steve says that he saw a base when he flew overhead, but it's not on the map. And he shows them where it is. And of course, it's not going to be on the map because it's Area 51, y'all. Y'all, I'm not really a believer in aliens. I'm not really a conspiracy theory type of person. I personally just believe these things are kind of like fodder for fiction. And if they're real, they're real. And if they're not, they're not. And it ain't got nothing to do with me. If they're not bothering me, ain't no aliens bothering me right now. I'm good. I don't need to know if they exist or not. That's just my philosophy or whatever. And so, yeah, the president lands in Area 51. It's a research facility. And the president doesn't even want to decontaminate. He's like, show me, okay? And... Y'all, if Will Smith, you ran across Will Smith in the desert, he was dragging an alien around, would you let him into your RV? <laughs> the answer for me is a big fat no. Like, you gotta freaking be kidding me. You and an alien can't come in here with me. I don't know what kind of alien parasites and germs and stuff you got going on. You're not getting in my car, okay? So go back to Area 51. The president did not know about Area 51 because he needed plausible deniability. There's a doctor there named Dr. Okun who's doing research. He's really stoked to meet the president because scientists don't get out very much. He takes them to the spaceship. They've been trying to put it back together. And the spaceship actually started responding when the aliens arrived. So the scientist is nerding out about like how neat the spaceship is now that it's actually responding with the aliens being there but the president is taking things really seriously so the weird scientist shows them the aliens in weird jars and notice that they look different from the one that we saw earlier the one that will smith punched because the one from earlier was actually wearing a suit so 
the story behind that that I read is that the person who designed the aliens actually came up with two designs and whoever was in charge of the movie or whatever actually liked the designs, both of the designs so much that he wanted one of the designs to actually be a protective suit that the actual alien wears. So he got both of the designs in there by making sure that the aliens wore a suit. And so we find out that the aliens don't have vocal cords and they might communicate telepathically we find out that their bodies are frail just like the human body but their technology is strong and so the president enlists Dave to help with cracking the code on the technology because he's already proven that he could do that before with the whole signal situation so the RVs pull up to area 51 and he basically uses an alien to get through to security so the annoying politician again he's the secretary of defense is actually the former head of CIA and he one of the non-annoying generals is like raking him over the coals for not speaking up sooner because they basically had a full day of not really knowing what was going on. Are these aliens? Are they friendly or whatever? And this man knew that aliens existed and that they actually had access to some of their technology. So the secretary of defense was keeping his cars too close to the vessel on this one. The general is specifically mad because they sent soldiers to attack these technologically superior aliens and they ended up losing their lives because the Secretary of Defense didn't say anything. So we find out that Atlanta, Philadelphia, and Chicago are destroyed. We see that NATO and the Western Allied installations were hit too. And at first when I was watching this movie, I was like, why haven't they hit Houston? Houston is one of the largest cities in America and it also has NASA. Like, why wouldn't they be on the top of the list? Houston is my hometown. <laughs> Not that I wanted to be destroyed by aliens, but I just felt a little bit offended. But Houston does come up a little bit later, y'all. So based on the amount of ships and the amount of time that it takes to destroy a city, every major city in the world could be destroyed in the next 36 hours if they don't stop the aliens. So Steve meets the president and the president wants to see the alien that he brought in. And Steve actually finds out that El Toro, the base where he was stationed, is destroyed. And he remembers that he told Jasmine and her son to meet him there. So he feels horrible about that. We see that Jasmine pulls up to El Toro and sees that it's destroyed and she's devastated because she does not know what happened to her man. She don't know what happened to Steve. And so Vivica and the survivors camp out for the night and we see that some people survive because they took the subway. So they were underground and that explains why they survived the whole blast situation. And so we find out that the little boy is actually not Will's biological child. And this helps explains why Steve isn't sure about proposing to Jasmine. He's going to marry a stripper who has a child that's not his. Is he ready to be a stepfather like right away and marry a stripper, whatever that means? So that explains his hesitation. And so the first lady and Jasmine talk and Jasmine has no shame in stripping and she shouldn't. I thought it was an interesting conversation. So they get ready to dissect the alien. The weird scientists are recording and it looks like the alien is still alive. Okay. So this is a mistake. They do an excellent close up on the alien and they open up the suit and that scares me and the scientists. It's like a little jump scare situation. 
So right now they're trying to remove the suit to get to the alien and the alien's like little hand moves a little bit and I realize it's about to get ugly up in here. And so one of the scientists is like, hey, the arm is moving and then the big glassy eyes open and some weird noisy signal plagues the main doctor, the main scientist. And so the alien stands up and they all panic it. They all panic. The equipment is going haywire. The doors won't open and the alien ends up attacking. Now those graphics were bad like when the alien was attacking that was pretty bad those graphics did not hold up we see the president and others go into the observation room to watch the autopsy and it's cloudy in there and the doctor main doctor gets put up against the window and the aliens start using the doctor's voice to say release me so they finally see the alien and the president asks for truce or a peace and the alien says no peace they want humankind to die and so that little signal starts going off again it's like a high-pitched signal and it actually is affecting the president and the dudes who are in the room with the president shoot the alien who makes weird cat noises when it dies thought that was pretty funny and the president through the signal that it received telepathically from the alien gets shown what the plan is I found this to be a little too convenient for me. Why would the alien communicate their plan to the president? It's, I don't like it. I don't like it. I understand this is an alien apocalypse movie and we can be a little liberal with the science because it's science fiction, but I don't like it. I don't like this. It doesn't make sense to me. Whatever. I feel like it was an afterthought, right? So Anyway, we find out that the alien species are like locusts that move from planet to planet and they consume all the natural resources. So once he finds that out, he's like, nuke them. Okay, send the nukes. So after they're done dissecting the alien, Connie and Dave get ready to dissect their marriage and they talk about their relationship. We find out that she wanted a career and she wanted to be a part of something. And Dave was not motivated enough for her, even though he was super smart. And they both love each other, but love wasn't enough. And if you want to keep a good relationship, you better recognize that love ain't enough. Okay, you can love somebody and just be incompatible. And I'm with Connie. Okay, I love an ambitious woman. And when you see somebody squandering their potential, it's the most unattractive thing in the history of the world and she knew Dave was smart and she knew he was capable and he graduated from MIT and he just wanted to be a little cable repairman and she wanted to go off and become the press secretary for the United States president and she's like your energy don't match my energy I want to go to DC he want to stay in New York and be a cable repairman we got to break up so we learn more about that relationship so next we see that Steve, Will Smith's character, steals a helicopter because he has some business to handle. There's a new squadron that's in the air that's ready to nuke the spaceship that has landed over Houston. So Houston is like six minutes away from being destroyed by the spaceship. But because there was enough time to get the city evacuated, they don't really anticipate a bunch of civilian casualties. So that's good to know. At least Houston was evacuated before they got ready to destroy it. So in that way, it was fortunate. 
So the military is preparing to nuke Houston and the president is kind of hesitating, but then he gives the confirmation. The nuke hits and there's a tank there that's present that's trying to confirm if the target was destroyed. And we see that the target was not destroyed. The nuclear weapons are not strong enough. And if they are the strongest weapons that we have, we are doomed, y'all. The nuclear weapons didn't work. And people in Houston are probably going to grow three legs. So <laughs> it's a lose-lose, y'all. It's a lose-lose. So the people in Houston end up having to abort the mission because, again, Houston is just a few minutes away from being destroyed. And the Secretary of Defense got too happy too fast and was really disappointed. So now it's time for this little rescue mission. Steve shows up in a stolen chopper to rescue Vivica A. Fox and her crew of survivors. Steve and Jasmine make out and Steve brings them back and the president and the daughter go to the hospital that I'm assuming is inside of Area 51 and the doctor there is talking like she might not make it because she's bleeding internally and they literally can't do anything for her. This is not a real hospital. This is like the medical wing of Area 51. So there's nothing that they can really do for her. And I feel sad. She survived long enough to say goodbye to her husband and her daughter, and that's really about it. And the president, as he's saying his goodbyes, basically lies to her about her outlook, and she dies. And I think this was one of the saddest deaths in the movie that I was saddest about, because when Jimmy died, Harry Connick Jr.'s character died, I was okay. I was almost happy. And... <laughs> When Marty died, I was like a little bummed, but the first lady, I actually felt very sad for her death. So, you know, this movie takes you through a bunch of different emotions. So it's July 4th now. Dave is drunk. Again, this is Jeff Goldblum's character. He's mad about the environment. His dad sees him and his dad encourages him to look on the bright side. And his dad says something along the lines of like, I don't want you to catch a call. And that gives Dave an idea. So Dave gets everyone together at the spacecraft that was discovered in the 1950s. And he demonstrates the shield, like how the shield works. And then he removes the shield and shows that if you give the shield a computer virus, you can plant a virus into the mothership that's going to trickle down to the smaller ships. So he comes up with this plan to fly to the mothership, plant the virus and blow stuff up. And it's going to give everybody a little window where the shields don't work so that the remaining people who have, you know, aircrafts and stuff and, and tanks and whatnot, they can blow ships up. They can actually shoot down the aliens that are here on earth and so they're like hey nobody here can fly this spacecraft like what the heck and steve will smith's characters wants to try it and the little negative secretary of state politicians over there being negative talking about we don't have the resources we don't have enough time nobody can fly the spacecraft whatever everybody's over him and i am over him too and they're like we don't even know if this can fly and so Dave moves the platform that the spaceship is resting on and we see that it floats. So it looks like they were able to prepare the spacecraft. How convenient. Another little piece of <laughs> another little piece of this story that doesn't sit quite right with me as far as like realism, like being realistic. But again, alien apocalypse is not supposed to be realistic. So the president is over 
this negativity from the Secretary of Defense and he fires him. So they start sending, because, you know, technology is kind of destroyed or whatever, they have to start using old school ways of communication and they are using Morse code all over the world to notify different troops around the world of like, here's what we finna do. We finna deactivate the shields. And when we do that, y'all finna blow some stuff up, right? Like, let's do this. Let's do this. And Morse code be saving people on movies, y'all. Movies and TV, Morse code comes in handy. I low-key want to figure out if it's something that I should learn. I at least need to know how to do SOS, but I don't know nothing else about Morse code. And is it as hard as learning a language? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If y'all know Morse code, y'all out there, tell me if it's easy or not. And so there's a funny moment that happens where Jeff Goldblum asks Will Smith's characters if he thinks he can fly the spaceship. And instead of responding, Will says, do you think your crazy plan is going to work? <laughs> And so they both have like this suspended disbelief about what's happening and they're just going to do what they have to do. So Russ, the drunk pilot guy, volunteers to fly a plane for the counteroffensive strike and Russ is trying to sober up. Some of the people who are in the RVs are getting a crash course on military planes and Will is getting his own crash course on how to fly the spaceship. And they have 30 seconds to get away from the mothership when he launches the nuke at the mothership. So they're going to blow up the mothership and load a virus into it. And they'll only have 30 seconds to get away. So Connie gets worried about Dave going and she's like, well, does it have to be you? And he's like, well, if something goes wrong, I'm the only person who can fix it yet. It has to be me. And so I think she sees that now that he's trying to save the world, he's living up to his potential and it's very hot. And I don't disagree. <laughs> so right before they're getting ready to go off on this mission, there's a wedding. Steve and uh, Jasmine get married in a dress that she borrowed. The son looks at the mom and says she just looks okay, which I thought was funny. Dave and Connie are witnesses to the union and Connie sees that Dave still wears his wedding ring while they're witnessing this wedding and Connie reaches out to hold his hand and all these old feelings come back and saving the world is pretty sexy and I feel like they just kind of got swept up in the moment and remembered how much they loved each other and like I said saving the world is pretty sexy so I will say in general, I'm not really attracted to Jeff Goldblum, but he looks really good in this movie. I'm just going to give him that, okay? So now it's time to rally the troops. The president addresses the troops that are at Area 51 because these people are risking their lives. Some of them don't have a lot of experience in flying planes, but they're getting up there and they're going to risk their lives to try to save the world from aliens, okay? So he has to rally the troops and he says, this is the largest aerial battle in mankind. People are all over the world are literally going up into planes and fighting aliens because they have a single enemy which is this alien race and it's the fourth of july and that's appropriate we're literally fighting for our lives and he's like july 4th previously was just a u.s 
holiday. And from here on out, July 4th, if we survive, July 4th will be when every nation celebrates all of us coming together as an entire world, as an entire global community unifying against these aliens. And he did like a really stirring speech and everyone was clapping. Apparently the clapping was not scripted, but they ended up keeping it in the movie. And it was actually like a really good addition to the movie. And you came across as like this spirit of like hope, like we're risking it all on July 4th, but we're going to pull it together on this Independence Day. So if you remember, the president was a fighter pilot. So he has decided to fly with the rest of them, which let me tell you something. That's hot. <laughs> Look, there's nothing cuter than saving the world and the captain going down with the ship. Okay. And the fact that he would sacrifice himself even as president of the United States is hot. This is the type of leader that I can get behind. Okay. So Steve says goodbye to his new wife and stepson. And Dave's dad gives him some barf bags. Again, remember he gets airsick and Dave ends up giving his dad a yarmulke and I'm assuming a copy of the Torah just in case he doesn't come back. His dad's really proud of him and that he's finally living up to his potential. Connie gives him a hug goodbye and now it's time for them to go. So Steve grabs two cigars before leaving because of that weird superstition that I low-key forgot about where when he comes back from a, a mission flying that he lights up the cigars. So yeah, Russ gets into his plane and he almost fires a missile, which is freaking hilarious. That was very funny to me. He was very close to firing a missile before he even got off the ground, but that was funny. And yeah, no lighting up the cigars till the fat lady sings, whatever. So now we're at the climax of the movie and I'm going to try to go through this as quickly as possible. Will gets ready for takeoff in the spaceship and it ends up going backwards. <laughs> He had a little sticky note with instructions on how to navigate the plane and he had them backwards. They were like upside down. I thought that was hilarious. But finally, they're able to take off and their target is off course. We see that one of the destroyer ships is actually headed towards Area 51 and they're only 26 minutes out. So Steve finally gets to go into outer space. Remember, he was trying to kick it with NASA and the mothership puts Steve and Dave on autopilot. So the mothership is like pulling them in to dock. So Connie has to remind the people at Area 51 that there's like a whole community of RV people outside and the aliens are on their way here to Area 51. So those people need protection in case that destroyer arrives before they're able to like disable everything. And y'all, until she mentioned that, I was like, who is she talking about? But all of the RV people were outside. People literally, she literally had to remind them that there are people who, civilians that need saving. They need to be brought inside just in case we get destroyed. So the spaceship that Steve and Dave are in goes into the mothership and it's like a weird but kind of cool experience. There's this weird upside down cone. The aliens are lined up preparing for the invasion and Dave closes the windows so that the aliens can't see them. And while they're in there, Dave activates the virus and the virus ends up getting delivered. So once the president and his troops or whatever 
hear that the virus gets delivered, they send the first missile and the shield is actually still working. So people feel defeated. But the president wants to try again while other people are like giving up and pulling out. And the second try actually works and it strikes the ship and the shields are deactivated. So now they're all firing and then the little tiny spaceships end up coming out as well. So Russ is out here getting his payback. He's shooting down aliens and he's like excited. So Dave wants Steve to leave now that the virus is activated, but the ship is actually docked. It's like being held in place by this little docking device. And so because the ship is trying to move while it's attached to the dock, it draws the attention to one of the aliens. And so the alien removes the windshield cover from off of that particular spacecraft and they have to hide from being discovered. So the RV people end up getting brought inside and some of them don't make it because the little spaceships are out there blowing stuff up. Dave's dad is praying and we see that a lot of the people who are on the fighter planes are running out of missiles and they're not causing enough damage to bring down the destroyer that's on its way to Area 51. And so the bottom of the ship is opening and it's getting ready to like fire. And the president shoots a missile at the area where the ship is opened up, but it, he ends up missing. And so there's a guy who's backup who gets ready to shoot his missile, but he ends up dying. So Russ shows up and he has a missile, but the missile malfunctions. And so Russ's son is listening to all of the chatter that's going on over the radio in the control room. And Russ put up a picture of his kids in the plane and you know, he sees his kids and of course he wants the best for his kids. And so Russ decides to fly into the beam as it's powering up to destroy Area 51. And when he flies into it, they realize it's a weak point and it ends up destroying the ship from within. So everyone's clapping and Russ's son, of course, is devastated because his dad is dead, but he's also very proud of him at the same time. So now that they have found a vulnerability in the ship, they got to spread the word now. So they're spreading the word through Morse code about how to take down the spaceships. So now they have a game plan. So we're back on the mothership. Steve and Dave are still hiding. They're getting ready to light up the cigars because they don't think that they will survive. But they did accomplish their goal and they're about to launch the nuke into the mothership. But then they get loose. And Steve has to get them out of there in 30 seconds while being chased. And so some of the spaceships are chasing them and the doors are closing and they barely make it out. So they had already activated the nuke. They aren't being followed anymore because the aliens didn't make it out of the mothership. But the mothership ends up being destroyed by the nuke and Steve and Dave get caught up in the fiery explosion. So all over the world, the destroyers are being taken down because everybody knows what their weakness is now. And so the pilots who survived are heroes, including the president. Unfortunately, the control room lost contact with Steve and Dave, but immediately they get something on the radar and we see that Steve and Dave are walking away from the crash with lit cigars. And Jeff and Will look so good saving the world together as they're walking away from the fire. 
they're walking away from the spaceship that just crashed. They look so good. Again, I don't necessarily find Jeff Goldblum particularly attractive, but in this movie, at the end of the movie, when he was walking with that cigar and his shirt half open, he looked real good, okay? <laughs> so the president and Dave squashed their beef. Again, remember Dave punched him because he thought he was having an affair with Connie, but Vivica A. Fox's hair looks a mess. But it makes sense. It's an alien apocalypse and nobody has time to make sure that their hair looks beautiful and wonderful. So that's realistic to me. So pieces of the fiery spaceship fly through the air like fireworks. The movie is over and the world has been saved. How lovely is that? We all love a good ending. So that's the end of the movie. At the end of every review, I let you all know if the movie is worth a rewatch and if it still holds up today. And the answer to both of those questions is yes. After watching this film for the review, I don't know if I've ever seen it all the way through, okay? Even as a child. I really could only recall bits and pieces of the movie, but overall there weren't any overly offensive or out of touch scenes or concepts. And even though alien invasions aren't necessarily realistic, the storyline felt mostly believable except for the part where the alien communicated its plan via high-pitched telepathy that felt like really tacked on okay but overall everyone did a great job acting there was stories of love there was lots of action and explosions there was a jump scare a message of pulling together and putting our differences aside for the greater good I really enjoyed the movie and I thought it was a good mix of sci-fi action and comedy with like a little romance sprinkled in there also, Jeff Goldblum looked really good in this movie. <laughs> On Rotten Tomatoes, critics gave Independence Day 68% while regular folks gave it 75%. I'm not even going to really argue with them this time. 75% is great compared to some of the more egregious ratings that I've seen so far, so I'm not going to press it, okay? I really enjoyed this movie and I would rate it maybe a little bit higher, but I guess I could see why some people might not be into it. The graphics are older. There are are a lot of different storylines to follow in the beginning. Like I get why people wouldn't like it, but that didn't necessarily bother me at all. I had a great time watching this film. Happy 4th of July and thanks so much for listening to my review of Independence Day here at Sup Media Reviews. Next time I'll be reviewing the 1993 classic The Sandlot. Peace out home slices. Thanks for listening to Sub Media Reviews. I hope you enjoyed our trip down memory lane just as much as I did. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like me to review next, or if you just want to share your thoughts on today's episode, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Pinterest at Sub Media Reviews and on SubMediaReviews.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps me improve the show and spread the word to new listeners. So until next time, peace out, home slices. Peace out.